0: as a turtle. We uh, have things that trap us and we keep going back into those traps and, and being trapped. And so this series is all about applying God's truth to help us be free from these things that might trap us. And uh, As we get going here, as always, a reminder about the gold insert. If uh, you haven't taken that out yet, I'd really encourage you to to do that and to follow along um, as we look at God's Word. Um, As I mentioned, um, last week we started this series and we really just kind of looked at the big idea or the main idea for the entire series. And if you have, weren't able to be here last week, probably the best thing you could do is to take about a half hour, maybe it's while you're washing dishes or um, running on a treadmill or something, and, and to just download that from our website and listen to it. It'll do a much better job of setting the, the tone for the series than what I can do right now. But in way of really short review, the, the main idea of the series um, is found in our, our first fill-in here. That our beliefs, and and here not necessarily just about belief in God, your belief about anything, our beliefs influence our attitude, that is our feelings, and our behavior, that is our actions. So to apply this in real short order, um, the way you believe about your family affects and influences your feelings towards them, or him, or her. And your actions or your behavior towards him or her. The way you feel about your pastor, about me, influences your feelings about me, right? And your actions towards me. Um, The way you or what you believe about money influences your attitude and behavior. Really, what you believe about anything, right? Influences your feelings towards it, your attitude, and also your behavior. It's just a principle, it's always true. And so the point is, is that if we are, if we believe lies about certain things or certain people, it'll trap us into feeling a way that we shouldn't have to or don't need to. Um, Let me give you a non-spiritual example of this. Um, Some of you know that um, I grew up for the first 12 years of my life in El Paso, Texas, and um, there... Winters were not like here, and so we got snow maybe once a year, and then they'd all call off school, and it'd all be melted by noon, and grade school kids would have a great day, right? Um, What never would happen is that the rivers or ponds never froze over. So about 12 years old, we moved to the Midwest, and one of the very first outings at church for the youth was an ice skating event at... um, at a frozen lake that you know had an ice rink on it, and um, first of all, being born and in, in, not born but raised in Texas for 12 years, um, knew it was a horrible event for me because I had no idea how to ice skate. Um, you know, I don't you don't wear cowboy boots to ice skate, and I wore cowboy boots growing up a lot of times. Um, and the other thing is, is that never having been on a frozen lake before, I'll tell you, and I know this is gonna sound weird. Um, I was nervous about it the whole night because, you know, there's water under here and it's really cold. And what happens, right, if I fall really hard, will the ice break? And, you know, if there's too many people on here, remember, I'm 12, I'm from Texas, all right? Two, two negatives going against me, I'm dumb, right? I, I'm, I'm scared all night, nervous. I did not enjoy my time at all because I'm thinking, this might not turn out all right. And as the night came to an end, it couldn't have happened fast enough. Um, I was ready to take off my skates and and get out of there. And as I was walking out, um, as the caretakers of the rink were cleaning things up off of the lake, I'm standing there watching and, and walking out, and they drive their truck out on the lake. And I'm like, wow, this lake holds a truck, all right? Why was I nervous all night? I wish that truck would have gone on there earlier because I could have enjoyed my evening a little bit more and broken free from this lie that I was believing, all right? This is what happens when we believe things that aren't true. It affects you. It affects a 12-year-old. It affects all of us. It's good to know whether what we're believing is true or whether it's not because once a belief is exposed as being a lie here's what happens. It no longer has power over you. That's true whether you're ice skating. Last week, we talked about how once people recognized that the world wasn't flat, but it was round, sailors weren't trapped by this idea that they might fall off the side of the earth, right? Once a lie is exposed, it has no power over you. So starting today, we're going to take a look at four lies that I believe, are the most common that people believe about themselves. And we're going to apply, as I've mentioned, God's truth to help us break free from them. Now, as we go, we may get to a week where you don't think a particular lie really affects you or really is your issue that you're believing. If that happens, two words of advice. Number one, keep listening Because there's probably someone very close to you in your life that does believe this lie. And for you to understand the truth that will set them, set you free, will help you set them free, okay? Secondly, if you don't think you believe it, here's the truth. You probably do, okay? See, the thing is, is that these lies, if they were easy to sort of expose and understand, they wouldn't trap us. The reason why they're so dangerous is because we don't always recognize that we're believing them. So what is our lie for this very first week? You notice that the the theme is wrinkle-free. It's this idea that we need to be wrinkle-free in our life. Or to put it another way, I must be perfect at everything I do. I gotta get everything right. And an offshoot of this is, is that the people around me have got to get everything right too, and if I don't get everything right, and if they don't get everything right, then I'm not going to be happy. That anything less than perfection is unacceptable. Now, you may not think that applies to you. Some of you already, yeah, that applies to me. If you don't, let me give you an example of this from my own life, Um, one of the most challenging and, I would say, stressful things about the ministry for me is writing sermons. Um, my, my goal every week, first and foremost, is that what I share with you is true to God's word and that Christ is at the center. That's my main goal. But as a preacher, you have other goals, right? Um, You want to be able to apply the timeless truth of God's word to the timeliness of our lives so that it intersects with the people that you're talking to. Um, You you want to be relevant. A a goal of mine is that um, through God's use of me, that God's word is seen to be the inspiring word that it is. Another goal is that Jason stays awake the whole, cer- no, that we all stay awake, you know, that I'm interesting enough that, that people are engaged, okay? And, and as I have all these goals floating around in my mind on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday and Saturday, some weeks as I look at what I'm led to be writing and going to be preaching, it stresses me out because I'm not hitting what I feel is the the perfect standard that I want for the message as it relates God's word to people's lives and to my life. And here's the thing. Um, does, what, the lie that I'm believing is that my job is to be perfect. Now, should I do my best? Yes. Should I goof off during the week and, and not care and just go up and preach with whatever? Never. But I also need to recognize that God hasn't called me to preach a perfect sermon. Um, Good thing, because in 10 years I never have, okay? (laughs) But instead, what God has called me to do is to do the very best I can with the abilities and the time that he's given to me and to be faithful in my serving. And here's the thing, and this is what helps me, (laughs) because I, I want your acceptance, I, I, and you do too in your workplace or whatever. At those times where I'm being sort of dragged down by this lie that I need to be perfect, I go back to this. I know that God will accept the best that I can do. And so people, the people of this congregation, or the people that are listening, whatever, they're just going to have to accept it too. <laughs> if God can accept it, then it's gonna be okay for the people as well. Now, do any of you have a little bit of perfectionism in you? (laughs) I know some of you do. Let's be clear um, about this lie. It encompasses a broad range of things. Um, it, it's everything from what I was talking about with a sermon. It encompasses um, our competency at work, as an employee, as a boss, having to be perfect, everyone having to be perfect and get everything right. It, it encompasses um, how we feel about um, our roles as a husband, as a wife, as a mom, as a dad. It's, so that's on one end of the spectrum. And, and over here on the other end that this lie also addresses is our relationship with God. And these things that aren't just, you know, mistakes like, well, he didn't preach the good of a sermon as I wanted to or whatever, but sins in our relationship with the Lord who, you know, asks us or who wants us to be perfect. Um, how do you know if you struggle with this? Here's some questions that I'm going to ask to see if they, you know, sort of hit some heartstrings First of all, if you can relate to my sermon story in your context or your area of work or life, you probably struggle with this lie. Or How about this? Do you obsess about sins from your past? Do you carry around guilt from things that you've done or said or felt and that while you know that God forgives you, that you can't forgive you, if so, probably struggle with this lie. Um, do you have to be the best at everything you do? And if you're not, do you obsess about it and can't let it go? Or an offshoot of that, if someone else is more successful or does better than you, do you have a hard time being happy for them? If so, you probably struggle with this lie. Do the people around you, at work, at home, um, feel judged by you and feel like they can't add up to your expectations? If so, you probably struggle with this lie. Um, Is it more important for you to be accepted by others than to know and be accepted by God? If so, you probably struggle with this lie in one way or another. And the thing is, is because it is a lie, the, the thing is, is that it, it traps us and, and in a way that we don't need to be trapped. How does this trap us, this lie that I, I and the people around me must be perfect in everything I, and they do and I do? Well, one thing, it's really hard to have healthy relationships. The reason is, is that your relationships aren't really able to be based on love. A person who's believing this lie tends to base their relationships on performance. And you need to meet a certain standard in order for me to love you, and I need to meet a certain standard in order for me to be loved by you. It also brings unhappiness because a person who's always got to be perfect will never be content with whatever they have or whatever they're doing because there's always bigger and better and bigger and better. And guess what? Here's the truth. Here's why it brings tra- entrapment and unhappiness because we cannot be perfect. Let me say that again, perfectionists. You cannot and are not perfect. Not as a boss, an owner, an employee. You're not perfect as a mom. You're not perfect as a dad. We're not perfect as a I'm not perfect as a pastor. We're not perfect as church members. We're not perfect as children, as students. Here's the other thing. <laughs> Your wife is not perfect. And the thing is, that's okay, because guess what, guys? Um, I've mentioned this before. Um, she has the, the, the privilege of being married to someone who's not perfect too, so it's a match you know, you're good for each other. <laughs> your husband's not perfect. Your parents aren't perfect. Your kids, they struggle like you struggle. They're not going to be perfect. Your, your boss isn't perfect. Your employees aren't perfect and can't be perfect. And here's the question, and, and here's where the truth is going to be applied. Why? What's the problem? Why can't we be perfect? And to look at that, what we're going to do to find the truth is is to turn to a a pretty uh, deep and very insightful letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians in Rome. Um, This is a a letter that really gets into some of the fine details of the faith. And what we're going to do is look at a section where Paul himself addresses this very issue and why this is such a big lie, not just that we must be perfect, but that we even can be perfect. So to do that, we turn to Romans chapter 5 as we look at God's truth. Beginning with verse 12, listen to how Paul sets the scene. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, what Paul is referencing here, most of you are connecting the dots. He's referencing the Garden of Eden. He's referencing Adam's first sin. Um, Adam and Eve, they were told they could eat from any tree in the entire world, in the entire garden except one in the middle, called the, the tree of, of uh, the knowledge of good and evil, and they ate from it. And so Adam sinned. But when he sinned, something else happened. Sin entered the world. So most often when we consider sin, we think of it as a verb, all right? I sinned, she sinned, we sinned, we did something. But here, Paul references sin not just as a verb, but as a noun. And what I mean by that is, as Adam sinned, sin, noun, subject, object, came into the world. And it it infected things. It changed things. How did it change things? Well, death came through that sin. To who? Death came to everyone. All men, all people. Because all sinned. Guess what happened? When Adam sinned, verb, sin, noun, came into the world. And from that point forward, all people have sinned. Adam sinned, we're all sinners. Adam sinned, we're all conceived and born in sin. Sometimes we call this our sinful nature. Sometimes we call this original sin. Maybe you've heard those terms before. But we were born, maybe wrinkle-free on the outside, and the wrinkles come as you get older, right? But in our souls and in our hearts, And at our very core, we are not born wrinkle-free. We are born naturally as sinners. Now, your first reaction to this, and some of you already have heard this before, this idea of original sin, Um, if if you're honest with your heart and if you've thought it through, your first reaction is, that's not fair. (laughs) Right? That's not fair. One person sins, we all are born sinful, we're all infected with sin. Well, here's the thing. It may not seem fair, and we're going to get back to that in a second, but it doesn't mean that it's not true. And, and, and I'll prove to you that it's true. We are not good people who occasionally do bad things. We are, by nature, and in our nature, bad people who sometimes have the ability to do a good thing. You see, if we were good people by nature, we could stop sinning, right? If we were good people by nature, counseling would be easy, right? You go to your counselor, you sit there, tell him all the things that you've sinned to contribute to the issues that you have, he'd write down all of his notes, he'd look up, close his notes, have two words for you, very insightful, Stop that. <laughs> and then we'd stop it. And counseling would be shorter and it would be cheaper. But we can't stop. Most of the things, sinfully, that you're struggling with right now, maybe it's, it's, it's getting yourself too busy. Maybe it's lack of priority, which contributes to that being too busy. Maybe it's not taking care of what God has given you. Maybe it's a feeling. Maybe it's an attitude that you're struggling with. All those things, you don't need to tell, you don't need me to tell you that it's not right or that needs to change. Most of the time, you already know it. So stop it! Amen. Let's go. (laughs) It's not that easy, is it? In fact, it's easier to train our dogs their behavior, then <laughs> sometimes or most of the time it is for us to change our behavior. Why? Because we're not good people at our core, naturally. We're born sinful, with a propensity to sin, and as enemies to God. Here's our next fill-in, or our first fill-in, should I say. Did we pause up? Number one fill-in, it's impossible to be perfect. Because of that sinful nature, it's impossible to be perfect. Um, If you're still not sure about this, think about your children or when you were a child. I guarantee you that you never had to do this as a parent. All right, Johnny, come on over. Um, Today, I'm going to teach you how to hit your little sister, all right? Here's what you do, and yet they do it. Or you never had to say, hey, Susie, come on over. I'm gonna teach you how to sass your mom. In fact, here are some phrases you can use. (laughs) And yet, what happens? They sass their mom. Or you never had to gather your kids together and say, hey, we're gonna talk about selfishness today, and I wanna teach you your first word, mine. And yet their first word sometimes is mine, and we all struggle with selfishness. How does that happen? I know. Adam sinned, verb, and sin, noun, entered the world. And through that sin, death came to all people because all sinned. (laughs) If you're trying to be perfect with God in the sense of earning his love, if you're trying to be perfect at work as a parent, if that's your goal and anything less than perfection you are not going to be satisfied with, can you see why you're going to feel trapped And unhappy? If you have that expectation on other people, can you understand why they're going to fail you? Because they do not have the ability to meet your expectations. It's like taking my middle school basketball team over to the Target Center and having them play the Timberwolves. How's that going to do for their self-esteem as they lose over and over and over and over, right? You just can't do it. Perfectionists, you can't be perfect. That shouldn't be your goal. Yes, we try our best, but we need to understand we can't be perfect. Verse 13 kind of explains a little bit more. Um, And this gets pretty involved. I'm going to do my best to explain to you some beautiful uh, words and thoughts uh, that Paul gives to us. Um, For, he says, before the law was given, here referencing the law given on Mount Sinai to Moses, Ten Commandments, about 1500 BC. Before that happened in 1500 BC, sin was already in the world. But sin isn't taken into account when there is no law. Um, before there was a law, you didn't, we didn't, people didn't know what was right, what was wrong necessarily. So the idea of sin being taken into account was a little bit different because God hadn't given his people his standards yet. But nevertheless, even during that time between Adam and Moses, when there was no law, death still reigned. There was still death from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who didn't sin by breaking a command because they hadn't been given yet, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Another way to know that you aren't perfect and that you have this sinful nature or this original sin is that we are all dying. That we get sick, and every day, unless the Lord returns first, we are getting closer to the day that we will die. Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even if there wasn't the law yet, proof that sin was in the world. Wow, this has been fun so far, huh? (laughs) You don't feel trapped anymore by the idea that you can be perfect, but now you feel trapped by all this difficulty of I can never add up, right? If that's how you're feeling, if you're still connected with me here, if that's how you're feeling right now, hopeless, I'll say that God has you exactly where he wants you. Paul, God, has you exactly where he wants your heart, as he goes on to write in verse 15. But... And over and over again, this little conjunction, but, is, tends to be one of the most beautiful words in the Bible because after that is this contrast, a difference. But the gift, the gift that God gives, is not like the trespass, that sin of Adam. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, who's the one man? Who was that? Adam, exactly. If many die, if all die because of the trespass of Adam, how much more, how much better, how much greater did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, not Adam now, but Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Just as sin came to everyone because of the one man, Adam, here's the good news of being a Christian. That salvation and the gift of forgiveness comes to all people through the one man, Jesus. Verse 16. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. Well, yeah, it is. Adam sinned, everyone died or has sinned, Jesus died for us, everyone gets a gift. I mean, that's like it. Paul says, no, it's not. It's not like it. Here's why. The judgment followed one sin, Adam's, and brought condemnation. But the gift that God gives follows Many trespasses. The trespasses of all people and all of our sins and brings justification over all those sins. Here's the thing. If you felt before that this whole sinful nature thing shows that God isn't fair, I will say this to you. God is not fair, and I am so glad he's not. Because grace, undeserved love, is the epitome of unfair that, yeah, I don't totally get or understand the whole sinful nature thing and why that had to be, and the Bible doesn't tell us why it had to be. It just is. And maybe on a certain level it doesn't seem fair, but I'm so glad God's not fair. Because the result of the one sin that brought condemnation to all people is far less than the result of the gift that came through the one man, Jesus which is far greater and wipes away all sin. Wipes away the consequence of all sin. Verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned in all the world for everyone through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We get to reign, that is rule, so to speak. Have a glorious life in heaven, and in fact, have the ability, not in and of ourselves, but through the Holy Spirit, to do the right thing, even here on earth at times, even though we will never, ever be perfect. Here's our second truth. Jesus' forgiveness is greater than our sin and or our sinful nature it swallows it up. It does away with it. Yes, we can feel overwhelmed by our sinful nature, but we don't need to be because Jesus' forgiveness is greater. Now, how does this set us free as we close? Well, here's what it doesn't do. Knowing that we can't be perfect doesn't mean that now we can just go out and do whatever we want and not necessarily worry about God's direction. Um, That's not true. We are not being set free today from caring about God's direction. That's not it. But how are we set free? It's more foundational. It's more fundamental. And to help you sort of understand how you can be set free, I I brought a couple um, glasses or vases of, of water here. And I want you to imagine that your job is to make sure that the water gets clean and clear no matter what's put in it. So here I have a um, pitcher of salt. And let's say, you know, as I'm doing, put a whole bunch of salt in there. Um, What would you do in order to help to get this clean again, Clear. What would you do? Any any ideas for me? Pour through a coffee filter. Okay, pour through a coffee filter. Good. Anything else? Some sort of a strainer, right? And you know, we could work at this for a while, and I bet we could get things a little bit clearer. All right. So there's on the the one hand. Now, vase number two. Let's imagine that we put some uh, food coloring in there. I'm not imagining. I am putting food coloring in there. How would you get this clear? I suppose there's probably some, like if some of you are Mr. Wizard or something, some sort of scientific way to get it clean, I'm sure. But in lieu of that, what would you do? What's that? Start over, over, sure. (laughs) Nothing, right? This is us. Because Adam sinned, our sinful nature is so a part of us, it's like food coloring and water. We can't do anything to make that better. And we cannot be perfect. We can't be clean. And sometimes the recognition that there's nothing I can do, I, I don't need to, I'm, I'm not going to go grab a strainer and start working on this for hours and hours. A <laughs> recognition that I just can't do anything brings a little bit of peace, especially when you add to that the fact you know that God, through Jesus, has taken it away. That because the sinful nature and the ability to be perfect is so impossible, like food coloring in water, recognizing that truth, I'm set free from trying to get myself clear, perfect, clean. But instead, I turn to Jesus, who to take Tracy's words, kind of start o- started over. He died for us, and he washes us and gets us clean. And when we realize that we're not perfect, that the people around us can't be perfect, we find peace turning to the one who has made us perfect and has justified us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your truth today. Lord, sometimes we uh, find ourselves uh, consumed and trapped by certain expectations that we have on ourselves or others that are just not realistic. Help us to break free from those lies that we have about ourselves, to still live as you've directed and to follow your direction, but to recognize that more than anything, we need you. We're going to fail. The people around us are going to fail us, Lord, but Through your Son, we're forgiven. Wash clean. Help us to find the the peace that you want us to have through that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Continue by praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us.